would like to extend a warm welcome to the Denton's Pod Chat. My name is Lynn Harrison. I am a partner in the restructuring, insolvency, and bankruptcy group of the international law firm Denton's. With more than 200 offices worldwide in 80 countries, and I'm here today with my restructuring partner from Belgium, Nora Waters. Nora, I, I think you share my excitement and anticipation in launching what I hope will be an interesting series of discussions regarding some of the hot topics and what we do every day, restructuring. Indeed, Lynn, I'm really very enthusiastic about this new series. And in this respect, I refer to the challenges that the insolvency systems are currently facing posed by the economic crisis generated by the pandemic and aggravated by the war in Ukraine. We see a recent shift from liquidity concerns to insolvency worries, and therefore well-designed and efficient insolvency systems and restructuring expertise in the twilight zone is of utmost importance. The Denton's team worldwide provides this, and we hope you will enjoy listening to our podcast series, which will vary over time depending on the specific trends. Just to name a few, crisis in the healthcare, distressed M&A, and directors and officers liability. We are looking forward for you to join us listening to the podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to bring to you the first of a series of podcasts addressing the international healthcare space. And let me introduce my restructuring partners, Sam Meisel in the US and Dan Fritz in Germany. Sam, a few words. Yeah. Thanks, Lynn. Hi, Dan. Uh, my name is Sam Maisel. I'm a partner in Denton's in the Los Angeles office, and I am the director of our distressed healthcare efforts nationally in the U.S. Also, a warm hello from, from Frankfurt, Germany. My name is Daniel Fritz. I'm a German lawyer and a partner in the restructuring and insolvency bankruptcy group here in Germany. Um, I represent uh, creditors, but also I'm representing debtors in, in that uh, position. I also handle the biggest insolvency case ever in Germany for hospital groups. So this is really a, a, an issue I, I, I really like to talk about. Great. Uh, it seems like we've got the expertise that is needed to address a host of questions, but we'll try to keep this quick and snappy. Uh, let's open up the discussion and talk a little bit about, um, quote, ownership and payment structures in the United States and Germany. It sounds like a mouthful, Dan. Uh, can you give us a, a little bit of background as to what those terms might mean in the healthcare space? Yeah, so uh, understanding the healthcare sector in Germany, um, we, you need to really go a little back to history. Uh, and in Germany, um, this system is also, let's say, influenced by Napoleon. And since that, uh, we really saw a lot of hospitals owned by the churches. We saw municipality-owned uh, uh, hospitals. And, and in nowadays, we see more and more uh, private-owned hospitals. All of that gives a big landscape of, of, of uh, coexisting and competing hospitals in the past. 
without any centralization. And it was a reason that the German lawmakers said we need to put some more pressure on the market to go for more centralization, to go for more efficiency. And all this pressure that was already on the hospital market prior to all this crisis situation had already put them under pressure. So when the crisis we're talking about now later hit them, they were already under pressure. And this is something really you need to understand when understanding the German market. Well, it sounds like a, a perfect storm. Um, Sam, can, can you give us a little bit of uh, flavor as to the, the contrast and ownership structures in the United States? Sure, thanks. So in the United States, there's about, there's a little over 5,000 hospitals. More than half of those are not-for-profit owned. And that's a really divergent group. Some of those not-for-profits are um, in very large systems like Ascension, uh, which you know are multi-billion dollar systems with more than a hundred hospitals. Then um, the, the flip side of that in the United States is that there are lots of standalone, single facility, not-for-profit hospitals, community hospitals that uh, have been in existence for a long time. There's um, also large privately held hospital systems. Uh, HCA in the United States is the largest. Uh, the, those hospitals are what you would think of as for-profit hospitals. Uh, then there's a small group you know, probably 20% of the hospitals, which are actually owned by a community, municipal government, or, or the Veterans Administration in the United States has a chain of veterans hospitals. So, you know, more than half of the 5,000 hospitals in not-for-profits, some large, some standalone facilities, then there's for-profit chains, and then there's actually government-owned hospitals in a much smaller percentage. Well, that's interesting, Sam. I, I, I want to Given those structures, uh, I can imagine that they were on an increased pressure due to the impact of, of COVID. Um, Sam, can you tell us a little bit about um, the impact of COVID in the last couple of years on, on the structures in the United States? Sure. So look, the, the healthcare industry is constantly in financial pressures for a couple of different reasons. One, it is uh, heavily regulated. So the largest payor for healthcare hospital stays in the United States is uh, state and federal governments through the Medicare and Medicaid, Medicaid programs. Um, they set the prices for the services the hospitals perform. And historically, they do not pay 100% of the cost of care. So, you know, maybe they pay somewhere between 80 and 90% of the cost, and that means that every Medicare and Medicaid patient that a hospital treats, it is basically losing money on those patients. And they pay for the bulk of hospital stays, which is why in the United States, people will read about how, you know, people who get private insurance through, let's say, Blue Cross Blue Shield will pay much more than Medicaid or Medicare pays for the same service. And that's because they are subsidizing the government's failure to pay 100% of the care. That seems, so this, that seems really unfair, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's, it's the system we have in the US. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so the financial pressures are huge, right? Think of any large business where the customer tells you, the, your largest customer tells you what they're gonna pay for the goods or services you're providing. Yeah. 
So the financial pressures have been used, have been significant for years. Uh, the COVID uh, pandemic certainly exacerbated all the problems. So what you saw in the United States was uh, almost an immediate cessation of elective surgeries, which are high compensation surgeries. And we replaced those patients with low compensation, but high service requirement COVID patients. Mm -hmm. So lots more labor costs, lots more personal protection equipment costs, uh, and much lower revenues, both for the patients we're seeing and for the patients, the, the elective surgery patients that we're now missing. Dan, so, do you, you, Dan, you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's, it's quite interesting to see that uh, although there is a big, big pond between America and Europe, we have the same system, more or less, or the same, same, same problems. This is because in Germany, 2003, we also introduced the DRG system, which is called a diagnosis-related group. So we have the same now in Germany that, that the hospitals get paid uh, by a lump sum payment for, for special treatments, and it doesn't care how, how much time they need to, to cure the patient uh, and how much effort. It, it, it's a lump sum, and it is in Germany not paid uh, by, by the state, but by social insurance companies or by private uh, insurance companies and nevertheless they also di dictate the pricing uh, to, to, to the hospitals and, and uh, the same was true then in Germany with these elective operations that, that they were not able, they had, did not have the resources because the hospitals were full, other patients were in fear going to a hospital if there is this pandemic situation so everybody postponed it and this is also something you cannot catch up with. So this, this, is, this is lost revenues for, 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 the, for the hospital industry. And, and with all that, so we already had stress on the employment situation in Germany. Um, the, the wages are not attractive. Uh, we have problems in all German industrial sectors finding good people to work there, in particular for hard jobs like in hospitals. And, and then the, 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 the staff went ill, the staff get rid of this, this industry uh, orientated otherwise. So yeah, so it's really a very hard situation for the hospitals now, like in the US, the same here. Well, let's, let's pick up on that employment issue. It's a, a very good point, Dan. I, Sam, as you know, in the United States, um, the, the unemployment rate has been coming down generally. Uh, what, what are the figures or prospects in the, in the healthcare industry when it comes to employment or unemployment? Yeah, Lynn, uh, labor costs right now are the biggest single problem in the healthcare industry. So what you saw during the pandemic was a demand for increased nursing particularly, but also increased demands on doctors. The, the result has been um, sort of a migra uh, the, a lot of retirements, early retirements of doctors and nurses who were simply burned out by the pandemic's demands. Um, the other thing is uh, what you've seen is sort of a migration of nurses who were working at, pick a rural hospital in Maryland, um, because there was such a shortage of people to work in hospitals and a demand because you can't, you can't reduce the number of nurses um, on a ward, for example, what's happened is they have migrated to what, what in the US are called traveling agencies or visiting nurse associations, mm -hmm. where the hospital, and these have always existed, but in much smaller numbers than currently, 
um, were they nurses who were willing to travel around the United States and fill in slots were paid significantly more than staff nurses at a hospital. Yeah. But now you've seen a big migration of that. So hospitals have seen a tremendous increase in the number and the need for these visiting nurses and how much they have to pay. Yeah. And then nurses in the hospitals, when they see the nurse next to them making four times as much money for the same work, because that's a traveling nurse, the nurses start to say, well, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to travel around the U.S. before, but for four times the amount of money, I'm willing to do it. Yeah. And so the labor costs are hugely, uh, are a huge problem right now. So yes. Dan, are, are, are you having the same uh, phenomena in, in, in Germany or maybe throughout Europe? Yeah, we had a similar issue during the shutdowns because a lot of the workforce are people coming from, from Eastern European states. And, and uh, during the pandemic, a lot of them uh, went home to their families and then the borders were closed the first time since many years in Germany. And, and the staff could not uh, come back to Germany to the workplace. This was, was also increasing the problem we already had. The people just were not allowed to come to their workplace by, by closed borders. Well, you know, one, um, of, one, of the, good. And one of the things we should mention though, because we're talking about the financial stresses of the pandemic, but the flip side of that is um, in the United States, there were billions of dollars paid by federal the federal government to support the hospital systems. So what you have now is, a, is sort of a schizophrenic industry. On one hand, their cash flow from operations is not good. On the other hand, they're sitting on huge piles of cash that were paid to sustain them through the various federal stimulus packages through the mm -hmm. pandemic. So it's really very schizophrenic. And I don't, I, I don't know whether it's the same in Germany or not. That's different with us. So we, we, we see that 60% of the German hospitals are not making profits anymore. And we will, we will see that uh, in, in the next year, 80% of the hospitals do not make any profit anymore. So, so they really have, all, have also liquidity and, and, and balance sheet problems, which is then in the end what we call insolvency then. You know, maybe as a, a, a wrap-up question, um, what about, what is on the horizon here? Uh, you know, we, we're, we're going through the pandemic. Are there any hidden issues or, or problems that you see um, on the horizon with respect to, let's say, you know, vaccines, opioid crisis, anything that, we, that, that might affect the um, healthcare systems in in your in the various jurisdictions that we're talking about, Dan. Yeah. yeah so the the thing is, you mentioned it in the beginning. Otherwise, I would say now this is really the situation for a perfect storm. The the, the the industry was already under pressure prior to Corona. The Corona hit it hard. The state aid was not sufficient. The state aid we had been granted in Germany is run also out in June. Now we see that the, the numbers of beds used for Corona patients are already at, a, at an all-time high again. Um, so the same situation coming back with, with a more stressed employment structure, with retirements, as you see it in, in the US. So all the problems are again there. Then we have inflation issues right now. The hospitals asking for inflation compensation by the German state, 5% and so on. This is one remedy. And then all, and the other issue, they, they say, what about the gas prices? The energy prices are actually exploding in, exploding in Germany. As an example, if you run a hospital with 600 beds, 
they had an a bill for, for gas and energy of 800,000 in the past for one year, nearly a million for 600 best hospital only for, only for the energy. And this cost will go up to 2.5 millions now. Yeah? So, so who, who shall pay that? And this is a big question whether the social insurance should pay it, then it should, needs to be paid by the patients in the end because there is, it's a social insurance and they need to pay for that too. Or is it the state paying for that? And, and so we really see big, three big new hits, increasing energy prices, inflation, and again, the COVID phenomenon. So this is what we really can call a perfect storm. Dan, and what, what from the US? Well, I, I think, you know, a lot of what Dan just said is mimicked in the US. I mean, the increasing COVID rates again are, are increasing hospitalizations uh, throughout the United States at rates, you know, we haven't seen for many, many months. Those patients, again, are low compensation, high cost patients, not the kind of patients hospitals want to see. Although labor costs have sort of, we've seen a little uh, diminution in the, in the kind of pressures for labor costs. It isn't a significant change yet. The inflation in the United States is also a significant issue. So hospitals are paying more for all the goods and services. Uh, the, inc the government will eventually catch up, but it will, in terms of increasing the amount they pay for goods or services through Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield will eventually cap up, but it will be years before they adjust their payments to catch up to the costs that the hospitals are paying today. Um, and there is no... There, there's really no appetite for any more government stimulus checks to make up for these problems. So we're gonna, I think we're gonna see increased pressure in the industry. Um, and I think you're gonna see, like, like American society generally, the health hospital industry is sort of becoming an industry of the haves and the have-nots and the middle class is disappearing. Mm. I think this is all gonna be greatly exacerbated over the next 12 to 18, 24 months. You're going to see, you know, the wealthy will survive, but the increased pressures are going to really be devastating for rural hospitals, inner city hospitals, standalone facilities. Well, let's uh, see if we can wrap this up. Um, any closing remarks just globally on, um, on where we're headed uh, with respect to the healthcare industry? It seems like there's a lot of opportunities here, which we'll obviously take up on future podcasts, but uh, maybe some closing comments, Dan, um, from a European perspective. Yeah, from the European perspective, we, we, we just started a discussion whether there are certain industries in, in, in Europe, in Germany, that are systemic relevant that, that you really need and whether the state will step in. And the question is, to which extent the state will step in? We just see it with, with big gas suppliers that, that, that the state steps in, but then also the state asks for stay in the, in the equity so we you know see a deep privatization maybe uh, between if it's really getting worse because that's just the, really the problem uh under normal circumstances you can cure a lot of problems in an industry with an in, with an insolvency you can use the tools of insolvency to restructure a company but here if we, if we see the problems are going bigger, bigger, bigger in the next months and if the if a hospital goes into an insolvency proceeding it doesn't help it. The problems remain the same. Where to find good people, how to, how to meet the increasing crisis. So the question is really to which extent an insolvency can help concentrating the market. To a certain extent, yes. 
But the big problem, maybe the state will step in. Sam. Yeah, I, I think Dan's spot on. I mean, in terms of restructuring these failing healthcare businesses, hospitals, you know, a lot of what we've discussed is systemic. It, it can't be fixed through a bankruptcy because I can't, I can't um, you know, increase the government payments for services and I can't reduce the need for labor costs, the, the increased labor costs for a facility. Those kind of problems just can't be fixed in a bankruptcy case. Um, I do think globally, uh, you know, the, the increased COVID patients that we are seeing again internationally, the sort of numbers that are going back up are going to be a real problem because governments, both in Europe and the United States, are in some respects worn out by the last three years and are not in a position, they're not prepared to continue to prop up these facilities. So I do think I do think the next 12 months, um, you know, if the pandemic doesn't subside and people can get back to normal, I think you're going to see significant upheaval in the healthcare industries, both in Europe and the U.S. And with that, um, we'll be back to you momentarily. I'd like to thank Sam and Dan for their comments. I think we can all agree that with the lack of governmental intervention in the future, um, there will be benefits of an insolvency proceeding and turning around the healthcare industry. And with that, that's a wrap. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.